Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. We just form a fucking wall. O'Neal deep on the post, lots of contact there. Oh, what a block by Wallace! What a jump ball! He's down four, 12 8, 7 38 to play the first half. Burst from Rodney, stuck into the rim! Reggie inside for Andre, oh. and a dynamite dunk! Pistons fans, welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, brought to you by Believe Podcast Network. Yes, you heard that correct. Um, the Palace of Pistons podcast has joined the Believe uh, family of podcasts, will be the official Pistons podcast moving forward. Um, this is really exciting. We've had to sit on this information for a couple weeks before sharing it. Um, Aaron, this is pretty freaking exciting. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, we, it's it's super special because you and I are the ones that are, are, are doing this. Obviously, we started this podcast back years and years ago. Um, it's gone through numerous different iterations. Um, we got you back on the podcast and obviously, you know, now within a couple of months, here we are joining a podcast network and believe is definitely a great network. They have a lot of great things going for them. You look at their library of shows and the talent that you'll see on those shows and, uh, you know, very, very happy and honored to be joining that group. So uh, it just opens up another another avenue for us and, and and connects us with some some great people and some great other shows that we're hoping to yeah be working with and and that's something that you guys will probably be able to start seeing here soon enough down the line is you know us working with different shows and some different things happening so uh, definitely a very exciting time very happy uh, to to be doing this and very happy to be able to announce this Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm really excited. I would have never thought that we that I'd go from recording and editing a podcast on a mattress on my floor in college to now we're joining a podcast network with a lot of other established podcasters and some other NBA podcasts with some NBA players who host them. I mean, Rick Barry and Larry Hughes. Um, I, I just pretty crazy to me. I mean, and you go across the spectrum. There's a lot of other athletes across other sports. Now, Ike, uh, Ike Taylor, the former Steelers cornerback, hosts the Pittsburgh Steelers podcast. That's crazy to me. I mean, I, you know, I got the the email from you, and I thought, huh, okay. And then you know, I, I looked into it further and further, and, and really dug deep and had some calls and talked to some people and thought, wow, okay, this is a, this is a real thing. Like this is, this is a legitimate, this is a legitimate avenue going forward. You know, I, I just never thought that I'd get to this point. Certainly not, you know, five years after, four years after um, (laughs) editing a podcast on my MacBook on my bedroom floor, uh, my senior year of college. So we're very excited uh, to join the Believe Podcast Network. And, you know, that does mean that you're going to hear from uh, additional podcasts. You're going to hear from additional people on other NBA podcasts. We're going to try to do some more cross-collaboration. We're going to try to, um, you know, we're going we're gonna to try to work with other people 
who cover other NBA teams and get some cross promotion going on. Um, when the Pistons are playing the Heat, we want to have the guys from the Heat podcast on. When they're playing the Cavaliers, we want to have some guys from the Cavs podcast on and really um, ultimately provide you, the listener, with as much quality content as, as, as we can. I know that listening to us all the time, I mean, it's just got to be the best thing ever, right? I, I can't think of anything better than to listen to, <laughs> listen to us talk about the Pistons constantly. But um, bring on some other voices, some other people, I think will, will be really, really cool. Um, and we're really excited. Uh, we think it'll be a great opportunity. And I mean, ultimately, they would not have reached out to us had it not been for you, the listener, doing this. You know, this is really, this is really on you all. And uh, we would not be here without that. So we thank you, the listener, for sure, um, for helping us get to this point. And we hope that we can continue providing that good quality content that we know that we can. Um, so aside from the, all that sappiness, uh, let's get right into it. Uh, the Pistons, oh my gosh, interested in, oh my gosh, Brooklyn Nets guard Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, a report from Ian Begley says that the Pistons are interested in Brooklyn Nets guard Spencer Dinwiddie. And a very very famous Pistons player of what could have been right up there with Chris Middleton uh, of what could have been for the Pistons having Dinwiddie. There's a lot of teams interested in Spencer Dinwiddie first off and the Pistons being interested does make some sense other than the fact that he was on the team before he does fit a need for them at shooting guard. Um, putting him next to Killian Hayes. I think right now the shooting guard spot is like the one position on the team that sort of doesn't have a, a for sure set in stone type of player. I think they've tried to rotate between Svi and previously Luke Kennard, but going after Spencer Dinwiddie, he is recovering from a, a partial tear of his ACL. He does have a $12 million player option at the end of the year that will certainly impact things, but the, Brooklyn Nets need to upgrade their defense. Although their defense is kind of starting to level out a little bit. So I, I wonder what sort of player they would be looking to get with Dinwiddie. It, not, it would not be, it would likely not be a one team to one team deal. It seems like it'd be a three team deal where, you know, the Pistons get Dinwiddie, they give team three some stuff and team three gives the Nets what they're looking for. Um, Aaron, what are your thoughts on the Pistons being supposedly a buyer now um, at the trading deadline by going after Spencer Dinwiddie. Well, first off, I think it's, it's almost like it's an obligatory time of year where the Pistons are interested in Spencer Dinwiddie. I just feel like we hear this story every single year, um, which is, it's just so funny because he, he literally could slash should still be on the team. Um, had Stan Van Gundy not traded him for some dude in Australia that never made it to uh, made it back to America after his like one season with the Bulls and Cameron Bearstow. So if you remember that trade, like I do, good for you. Um, I you don't need to know. get rid of that trade in your brain. Also, Move, you need like to fill that with anything else. It's locked in. It's not going <laughs> anywhere. It's it's not. But uh, it's it's interesting for sure because as you mentioned the shooting guard spot is really the only position that Detroit doesn't have a long-term, uh, you know, potential piece at moving forward. 
obviously with the draft coming up, there's hope that you land a player like Cade Cunningham or perhaps Jalen Suggs, two guys that could play the two-guard spot. Um, But as of now, there is no guy that is your, you know, your potential shooting guard moving forward. I think Spee, you know, I think even the Pistons have kind of come to the terms of, you know, Spee might be your backup, a backup wing for you off the bench. But I just think his, his ceiling is pretty capped. It's something we've talked about before. His ceiling is, you know, there, you can see the ceiling with him. Uh, But Dinwiddie would be a guy that averaged, you know, 20 points per game last season when he was healthy, averaged 20 points, uh, six assists, shot the three ball. He's become a pretty reliable three-point shooter. Um, Definitely the concern would be the ACL tear, Um, but he is someone that is rehabbing incredibly hard. He's, you know, definitely working to come back this season, albeit that that is highly unlikely. You know, he himself has not ruled that out, um, but it is very unlikely that he would be able to play this year. So, you know, you're taking likely a chance on a guy that would not have been playing for about a year um, or, you know, eight months or so, whatever it is. And he's got a $12 million option that I'm fairly certain Spencer will decline and he will want to test the market or he will, you know, if he gets traded, it may be something where he wants to be traded to a team that he will sign an extension with, or maybe that is something that, uh, you know, the team trading for him is going to be looking for. Uh, because as of right now, I don't think Brooklyn has a ton of leverage with him. Uh, one thing, one, you know, thing that kind of crossed my mind is are, are the Nets interested in a guy like Mason Plumley? That trade in a, in a one-for-one type swap would work out. Brooklyn did trade Jarrett Allen to your Cleveland Cavaliers, Mike. Uh, and Whoa. outside of DeAndre Jordan, their only true center option is a guy like Nicholas Claxton, although they have been using Jeff Green at the center spot in some smaller lineups. And, you know, that is probably a look that they'll be, you know, using a bit in the playoffs as well. Um, but I could see it. I could see a, a team like Brooklyn, you know, getting, you know, if they want to move off of Dinwiddie, uh, maybe getting Mason Plumley makes sense. But the only problem with that is, is he's locked in for three years, uh, you know, the rest of this year and two years after at about eight million per. So do you want that kind of long term money, which for a team like Brooklyn, where they really don't have that kind of money, uh, it 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 gets tough because that's probably half the reason that they would be willing to trade Spencer Dinwiddie anyway is because they'll have him and they'll have Bruce Brown, who looks like he's becoming a legitimate piece for them that they're going to have to uh, make contract decisions on. And with already, you know, $100 million plus tied up in Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant and James Harden, you got Joe Harris at $16 million here. You got DeAndre Jordan at just over $10 million per year. So they really don't have cap flexibility. Um, so I guess if they were willing to take on the the Plumley money, which is less per, but has an extra year, uh, assuming uh, Dinwiddie would accept his player offer in that case, it would have an extra year Plumley's contract would, um, but it's about $3 million, $4 million less per annually. That's a, something that kind of crossed my mind is maybe Brooklyn's interested in that, but they just seem to have so much depth at the guard spot and on the wings that they really don't need a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie. Whereas a guy like Mason Plumlee uh, could probably come in and and help them out fairly significantly. um, I believe 
But I, I, there also could be a sense where they need a third team in this type of a trade. You know, there might not be a piece on the Pistons roster that really helps them. I mean, maybe they want Josh Jackson. Uh, and, and I don't know what Detroit's thoughts are. Do they want to trade Josh Jackson and Mason Plumlee for, for Dinwiddie? And, and, you know, if, if Brooklyn's throwing anything else back, it's probably pretty minimal. I think Jackson's had a pretty good year. He's still just 24 years old. That's a guy you may want to hold on to. Um, but I, I, I'm not – the funny thing is I'm not surprised that the Pistons are interested in Dinwiddie. Are you? Uh, you know, I, I am, I am. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, you're aiming at a top three pick, right? You're aiming for a top three pick and you would hope that one of those picks would be somebody that you could put next to killing Hayes. No, I mean, you're looking at like a Cade Cunningham type of guy who would really just fit so freaking well. Um, so, so no, or, or, or rather, um, I, I am surprised. It doesn't seem like a Troy Weaver move unless he really feels like he could flip somebody like a DeLon Wright or a Mason Plumley, or he could leverage the Josh Jackson resurgence in into more, you know, a more established shooting guard. So I, I am a little bit surprised because it really just came out of nowhere. We knew that the Nets were trying to move Spencer Dinwiddie for another piece to give them that championship push. Like they want that piece now. They don't want to wait until next year um they don't want to wait until the year after they want to move him now they want to try to get some sort of value out of him for this season so i guess i you know i guess i am surprised here's why here's why i say that i'm not surprised i look at what troy weaver has done and he signed jeremy grant he signed mason plumley he traded for DeLon Wright. Uh, he has brought in, you know, he signed Wayne Ellington. Like he brought in all these different guys that just they're, they're veterans. They're not young pieces. They don't you know, necessarily fit the timeline, but they're very good counterparts to a, a rebuilding team. And they're, you know, guys that obviously have helped make Detroit competitive this season. And, I think adding a guy like Dinwiddie, let's say, I think DeLon Wright is actually uh, maybe an interesting an interesting player to, t- to talk about here. Maybe Brooklyn does want a little bit of help at the point guard spot, and, and maybe they would take DeLon Wright back, who has another year left on his contract, but is due like $3 million less uh, than Dinwiddie. Um, but maybe, you know, Dinwiddie just kind of fits that mold of guys like Wright and Plumlee and Grant that aren't necessarily getting you to the playoffs but they build continuity and they build competitiveness and are good guys to have on your team. Uh, it just, it, to me, it does kind of feel like a Troy Weaver type of move type of player to be interested in. And, you know, obviously you, I think a lot of people that have been following myself or the palace of Pistons podcast or palace of Pistons know how I feel about Spencer Dinwiddie. Obviously I think he is a good basketball player, I, I don't think Detroit should have moved him in the first place, um, you know, so it it's a tough kind of thing to gauge for me because I think there's pros and cons to him being traded to the Pistons. I think one the biggest con is that idea of, well, what about the draft? 
And what about Kate Cunningham or Jalen Suggs? Like ideally the Pistons are looking at drafting a two right now because Sadiq Bay looks like a small for your small forward and you have Jeremy Grant at the four. The only other guy that, that the only other thing you do maybe is you take a guy like Evan Mobley as your five. Obviously I like Jonathan Kuminga, uh, who's a, you know, three, four type player, but you look at the roster and you just think the two guard spot is really where you have that hole right now because you have other guys at every other position. So that's the, that's the piece to the puzzle that doesn't make sense. But again, Troy Weaver has already shown, he doesn't really care about that whole, we have guys at this position or whatever. I mean, Detroit had Blake Griffin and they signed Jeremy Grant. The Pistons drafted Killian Hayes and then they drafted Saban Lee, and they still went out and kept Derrick Rose to start the year off. They, um, they, you know, they brought in more guards. They signed Frank Jackson. Uh, they s- traded for DeLon Wright. So they've filled their roster out with guys not really caring about what position they play. And yes, it's created log jams, but at the same time, that's just kind of where I see, okay, this makes sense that Weaver would be interested in Dinwiddie. The Pistons are interested in him every year. And albeit that Dinwiddie maybe slides into your two guard spot. And that's where you're probably drafting a piece at. It, it still makes sense from the standpoint of Troy Weaver likes to go get guys that are going to compete, even if they're not guys that elevate you to an automatic playoff level team. We know what the, what the cap is going to be next year. Um, did they announce it yet? I don't think so. Maybe we just sound like complete idiots right now, but I'm, I'm pulling up the Nets payroll and, you know, maybe the Pistons saw what the Cavs did with Jared Allen, basically stealing him for almost nothing to clear, you know, clear some space to go get James Harden and trying to do the same thing with Spencer Dinwiddie, who, like you said, has a player option and then he's an unrestricted free agent. Um, right now <laughs> with Harden and Durant and Irving and then Joe Harris would be their fourth highest paid player. DeAndre Jordan, assuming that Dinwiddie's not on the team and does not pick up his player option. DeAndre Jordan's your fifth highest paid player and they're still at 164, almost 165 mil just with that. Projected so maybe for next year is 112 million, by the way. 112 million. Okay. So, <laughs> you, know, so you know, slightly over. No big deal. A little deal. math right there. A little bit of Luckily math. The yeah. Threshold is 136. So, right. I mean, and they have a championship team. They're going to pay into the tax, obviously. And they're going to continue to pay that tax because you have James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, and you figure the rest out. That's just how it goes with the super teams like that. And looking at the Pistons, the Pistons right now are at 107. So they're under. Got a little bit of room, a little bit of wiggle room. Um, but that Blake Griffin player option is mill. You take away the Blake Griffin player option, or at least it gets stretched or moved in some way, then that really opens things up. Maybe, just maybe, uh, Detroit's going to try to move some stuff around, take advantage of uh, the Nets' desire to upgrade immediately and make a run immediately for a championship and steal Spencer Dinwiddie and be able to sign him to a little bit longer-term deal. But it's, that's going to hinge on 
the ability to move Blake or at least buy him out in such a way that gives you that flexibility. They are paying basically six mil in dead cap with, with Zaire Smith and Dwayne Dedman. And then you're going to pay Dwayne Dedman on a 2.8 mil for the next four years after this year. Basically replaces the Josh Smith joke, which, you know, we love our jokes. So we got to keep that going. So, you know, you make a good argument for why Troy Weaver would want to do that. And I could see it, but there are just options available in the draft. And, and, and I guess it doesn't mean you don't take a two anyway, just because you have a Spencer Dinwiddie, you can still right. go ahead and do that. So, yeah, I don't think okay. it prohibit them uh, real quickly here while we finish this up. I don't, even if the Pistons do trade for Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, if they, God willing, end up with the number one pick and they have the opportunity to draft Kate Cunningham, who theoretically could play the one, two, or three, you know, you'll pull the trigger on it immediately. Yeah, you do it. You do it and figure stuff out afterwards. Exactly. And I, I don't even think that that's necessarily a, a bad bad thing to do. So if, if the Pistons did trade for Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily a – it doesn't mean that they're not willing to draft or don't want to draft Cade Cunningham or a guy like Jalen Suggs, but it also gives Detroit the flexibility of, Hey, we're Detroit. Let's be honest. Our luck is we're not getting the number one pick. So maybe we want to target Evan Mobley and have him and Isaiah Stewart as our fives of the future. Uh, Which would be great to the future. Well, then we have Spencer Dinwiddie who for now we can slide in at the two guard spot. And then next season we have a legitimate guard to pair with Killian Hayes or, you know, whoever is the starting point guard of the Pistons next season. I guess that's a little, uh, you know, little hint at what we might be talking about later in the show, but that's Yeah, it does. And, and, you know, Evan Mobley would be a wonderful pairing with Killian Hayes. I mean, really good. He's really good. He's got some level of awareness that I just, you just don't see out of a lot of big men so young, he would fit in very well. We're slowly warming our way towards a draft discussion, which we'll get to, you know, at some point down We're the road getting, here. Like, at each and every podcast, we just creep a little bit closer. We just start to right, mention right. a little bit more or mention a little, <laughs> a different name. Get we're, a little bit we're closer, yes. Sooner rather than later. Yes. And you had mentioned Jonathan Kuminga. I saw he's, he was listed at 6'6". Is he really? I thought he was six eight. I saw him listed at six foot six, which puts him more of a two who can play the three. But you know, I think he's awesome. Yeah, I do too. I think he's got great like he's he's got a great NBA body. I mean he even at six six, I guess, but he's just really built not to not to remind people of Stanley Johnson, but he kind of reminds me of Stanley Johnson just in how he is built. And oh, I can't believe yeah. he's only six six. Now, now we need to get like a. I need to see if there's like a recent measurement that we can get here to to figure this. Out. Now I got to go do some investigating after the show. Right. Well, we have to do our draft homework, which is something I've really been putting off for a long time. It's been the definition of procrastination because watching college basketball is just not the easiest thing in the world to do because you go from the NBA to college and you're like, Oh man, 
these offenses are bad. There is a lot of zone on defense. There, the offense is just swinging around the three-point line and hope something appears, or and then you dump it into the post and hope that your your big can handle it. And if not, you just get back down the court and go into your zone. It's just hard to watch. But I need to just grin and bear it and deal with it. Um, okay, enough draft talk. Let's move on to our next topic, which is the point guard position, which you mentioned earlier with Killing Hayes and with Flom Wright both out. Dennis Smith Jr. and Saban Lee have both filled in pretty well at the point guard spot. I think uh, there was some early hate for Dennis Smith Jr. Rightfully so. He was pretty tragic in his first couple of games. Um, but as of late, started to play a little bit better, started to be at least competent. He's averaging 7.8 points, 3.3 assists um, in those games. He's shooting just a hair under 40% from the floor, which is not very good. He's shooting 32% from three, which is better than he shot um, previously. So we'll consider that marked improvement. And then Saban Lee, the rookie, he's got 6.2 points per game, just under two assists, much better from three, 66% from three and 54% rounding up from the floor in total. So I don't want to say the Pistons have a point guard conundrum because they really don't. When Killian Hayes gets back, you should reintegrate him into the lineup slowly. Um, but when DeLon Wright comes back, and especially if he's being thrown out there in trade talks, like he reportedly is, what do the Pistons do when they have all their point guards back and healthy? Yeah, this is – so this is like the uh, – we just talked about how you figure it out later. Well, now the point guard spot is kind of that coming full circle. Well, it's time to figure it out, huh? Uh, so Dennis Smith and Saban Lee have both had their moments since really being inserted into the rotation. And uh, Smith has had his games where he's played well, and Saban Lee has been pretty consistently solid. Uh, he had a couple of bigger games, and even when they ha he hasn't had the bigger games, he's still just been, you know, a steady hand at the backup point guard spot. And, you know, both of those guys have earned and, and, and filled their minutes pretty well. Um, but with Killian Hayes and DeLon Wright probably due back soon, Dwayne Casey said, you know, we're hoping Killian can come back at some point in March. Don't quote me on it, but that's the hope. And then DeLon Wright, I'm fairly certain should be back, you know, within a couple of weeks or so. Um, so there's four point guards for Detroit. And obviously you could slide a guy like DeLon right to the two guard spot. Uh, you know, that is something that would probably be just fine, especially when the Pistons don't really have a strong two guard right now, especially if they trade Wayne Ellington at the deadline. Um, but then you still have three point guards. You have Killian Hayes, Dennis Smith Jr. And Saban Lee. I think it gets a little bit easier to figure out then if you're okay with just sliding DeLon Wright to the two guard spot, but that means that something has to happen to open up minutes at shooting guard, whether that's trading Wayne Ellington or Svima Hailuk, like something's got to happen there to take, you know, minutes away from one of those guys to fill them with DeLon Wright. So let's say you do that. And then you have those, your three point guards left. Well, I'll just be honest with you. Killian Hayes, in my opinion, should you know, if he's healthy, get as much of the workload as he can handle. Uh, just because he's now missed the majority of his rookie season, it's important that he gets 
the reps that he can handle both health wise and playing wise, you know, skill set, whatnot, uh, when he is able to return. So then you have, you know, then you have two point guards that you got to figure out. Well, Saban leaves on a two way contract and it's not ideal, but he might just have to sit if you're going to play Dennis Smith Jr. I, it's tough because the other half of me wants to say Saban Lee should get a full-time contract and Saban Lee should be getting minutes, but it's just, it's hard to figure out where all those minutes are going to come from. One Killian Hayes is back. I don't think you can really play Saban Lee at the two guard spot. I don't think you really can play Dennis Smith Jr. at the two guard spot as he is definitely a ball dominant guard. And, you, you know, if you look at his his minutes in the NBA, he doesn't really have minutes at the two-guard spot. Uh, obviously, the same goes for a guy like Saban Lee, who his only minutes have come at, at the point guard position uh, in his, you know, 13 games played. And then, obviously, Killian Hayes is a point guard. He is the Pistons' hopeful point guard of the future. So that's kind of the, the tough question and it's what it's it's the coming of a full circle where you know we go back to the Spencer Dimity topic and we say oh well you know you, dra- you, you trade for him if you can get him on a bargain and you know if you want to draft a shooting guard or whatever just figure it out later this is kind of where you have to figure it out and there's not an easy answer that keeps everyone in the rotation and everyone getting the minutes that they probably should because all of them have had pretty productive times out on the court when they have played this season outside of maybe Killian Hayes, who probably needs more minutes in all of them just because of his potential and his uh, prominence with the franchise. Yeah. You just sort of have to dish out the minutes carefully and there's no real, there's no real surefire belief that Killian Hayes is going to come back and immediately go back to playing starter level minutes. That's not, an expectation that the Pistons or any fans should have. There is a reason that you stock up and have depth at the point guard position. Um, Every team. And I like to think of this like pitching in, in baseball. If you think you have enough pitching, you should probably go get more pitching because you probably don't have enough. If you're satisfied with your level of depth, it's probably not deep enough. So look to always have more depth. And they did that with, Dennis Smith Jr. in acquiring him. They did that by drafting Saban Lee. It just so happens that Saban Lee has panned out a little better than people thought. Dennis Smith Jr. started off ice, ice cold and has slowly gotten a little better. DeLon Wright is having, I mean, arguably his best season. And then you have the number seven overall pick in Killian Hayes. It's just like a perfect storm of quality play. Now, how do you dish out the minutes when everyone's healthy? That's going to be pretty tough. I would still think that DeLon Wright will take his veterans level chunk of minutes and just kind of deal with them and Saban Lee will take more of a back seat and then Hayes being the seventh overall pick they're going to want to work him in so I would assume that he's going to continue to get quality level minutes and then Dennis Smith Jr. and Saban Lee are the odd men out sort of filling in for injuries when they need to when they can and in the sporadic minutes that they will get because there will be plenty of garbage time uh, opportunities on this on this team it's it's a 
it's a problem that's not really a problem because you still have a lot of quality level players and Saban Lee is on a two-way contract, like you said. So it does present some more options. And, you know, DeLon Wright maybe will we'll keep those minutes as well because they want to move him. The Pistons want to showcase him. I think that's always a possibility. So, you know, I, I don't really know if there, I mean, there's, there's no good way, like, like perfect way to go about it. And we know that with Dwayne Casey, his lineups, you know, could certainly switch around and flip around um, going with a hot hand, going with guys who are practicing harder and whatnot. So I think what you should do uh, when they're all healthy is slowly reintegrate Killian Hayes. Um, don't, like treat him as a start immediately because that's just not necessary and move with him and DeLon Wright. And if you are able to move DeLon Wright and it's a move that makes sense, you can move him and then you still have depth behind to take over those minutes. I think, I think that's fair. I, you know, I, I do agree that Killian Hayes shouldn't be getting, you know, starter minutes or whatever, right when he comes back, there's definitely got to be an ease in period uh, and, and whatnot there. Um, I like the idea of riding with the hot hand and who's practicing better. And I think that's probably what you're looking at for guys like Dennis Smith Jr. Saban Lee, just because there's only so many minutes that can go around. So you got to go with the guy that's, that's playing better and, and until you know, someone has to miss a game with an injury or whatever. That's kind of what you have to do, I think. And, you know, again, this is not a bad position to be in if you're the Pistons whatsoever. You'd much rather be in this position than not have a point guard. So um, just, you know, it's it's going to be a little bit of time anyways until Wright and Hayes are ready to return. You know, hopefully it's soon. Um, but there will still be time for, for Dennis Smith and Saban Lee to – continue to play and see, well, are they going to continue to do this consistently or was this just a little bit of a hot streak and does one of them cool down and right. play themselves out of the rotation? So you know, I think that's something that will play a factor as well. I really look forward to the minutes where Saban, or I'm sorry, the games where Saban Lee gets more minutes to Killian Hayes and we just have a huge fight again on Twitter about Hayes being a bust. I'm just mentally preparing myself for the hottest of takes. Did they draft the wrong point guard? For, no, please, please stop. Please. Oh, that is going to refrain. be. That is going to be something. You know, that is. Some, I've I've definitely grown to take Twitter less and less seriously. Those things still just. Yeah. It. it some people, man. It's just. What are you gonna do? Yeah, really. I mean, I I, I like to think back when I when I think about point guard depth. I think about the 2017 Cavs that just refused the 2017-18 Cavs, mind you, that just refused to really do enough to replace Kyrie Irving. And the best point guard the Cavs had that year would, would have been Jose Calderon. And I, I don't really think it was particularly close between Derrick Rose going MIA and George Hill being not good at all slash missing the free throw in the finals that, 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 I mean, Jose Calderon was the best point guard you, you could put together with LeBron James in his final year in Cleveland. I just, point guard depth is important. 
please take it very, very seriously. And the Pistons have. That's 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 a, a good thing that they've done. They've insulated right now the like the most important position in basketball uh, is point guard. You know, teams used to build around bigs, used to draft a big center and just put stuff around him. You know, if you can dominate on the, on the inside with a big center, a big power forward, then you could build around with with shooting and slashers. Now we're building with shooting at point and at shooting guard. And now we're just like, you eh, we'll just throw a DeAndre Jordan. You know, we'll put Jeff Green at center. Who cares? It's center. Um, <laughs> right. We'll just get someone that's six, seven or taller at the center position and we'll call it a center. Right. Now it's, and now it's a center. I mean, God, wasn't Bruce Brown playing like basically, basically center him and DeAndre Jordan, power four and center duo, DeAndre Jordan, and Bruce Brown, just My like goodness. we all imagined, just like we all thought. And, and I don't mean to plug other podcasts, but on the low post, Brian Scalabrini was on and he made an interesting point of where the, the small, the quote unquote, small positions, people want bigger people at the small positions. They want a Kate Cunningham, a mellow ball, and they want smaller people at the big people positions because they typically have more versatility, can shoot better, stuff like that. I thought that was a very interesting point when we were talking about Kate Cunningham and, and whatnot, you know, he's a guy who can play the one, two or the three. That's like ideal now. That's not what Killian Hayes is able to do. Uh, he is not capable of, of having that level of versatility, but um, it'd be interesting when he comes back. I'm looking forward to when he can come back. That's, that's my long winded uh, um, anecdote about, about that. And we will have to move on to topic three quickly, unless you have anything else for Pistons point guards. No, no, I think we're good there. Okay. So we talked a little bit about trades earlier and the trade deadline. So this, the market of teams, and I just kind of posed this to you before the podcast started, the, te- the list of teams that are willing to sell right now is a lot less than what it normally would be this time of year you have cleveland detroit oklahoma city and maybe the rockets right now as teams that are willing to sell it's not much and i i sort of posed the question of is the expanded playoffs where 10 teams are essentially quote-unquote making the playoffs or 10 teams making the playoffs that is going to have an impact on the market as we are now with, with it being March 1st, enter trade deadline month. And we had a great piece on Palace Pistons today from Dylan Edenfield about the guys on the Pistons who could be moved. And that includes Blake Griffin, if he ever gets traded or can be traded, Wayne Ellington and Mason Plumley and Delon Wright. And Cleveland fits that bill too. I think uh, this is now the eighth year in a row that Kevin Love has been on the deadline or has been on the trade block for the Cavaliers. Uh, Andre Drummond, uh, obviously awaiting his uh, glorious exit from Cleveland now that Jared Allen is finally starting and is insanely better. And then Oklahoma City, which just has like a, a, a bunch of stuff. They have like George Hill, Mike Buscala is like shooting really well from three. They just have a bunch of stuff. And the Houston Rockets have other stuff that is not very good. And maybe Victor Oladipo is available. Maybe, maybe John Wall, you know, they're not going to move John Wall. Maybe Eric Gordon, 
Um, so, so they have just like uh, remnants of of the previous um, playoff teams that they're trying to move. How is this smaller market and really a seller's market going to impact how the Pistons are able to trade? Like, do you think that the expanded playoffs actually make it easier for Detroit to sell off, trade away some of their veterans? Because I definitely think it does. Yeah, I think it does exactly that. I think, you know, especially a guy like Wayne Ellington, you know, how many teams at the trade deadline every year are looking for shooting, are looking for wing depth? And, and, and every year there's probably eight, ten teams willing to trade those type of players or, or players in general. Right now there's three, maybe four. And, and a guy like Wayne Ellington just becomes that much more valuable to a team trying to find an extra piece, trying to find shooting, trying to find depth at a time where, you know, this is your last real opportunity outside of a, a buyout market type of situation where you can do that. So I think it adds value to, to all of Detroit's trade assets in, in Ellington, DeLon Wright, uh, Mason Plumley, if that's a player that Detroit is, you know, looking or willing to move. Um, it, it, there, sh- there should just be more suitors for them rather than uh, sellers. It's going to be a seller's market. It certainly seems like it's adding up to be. And, and that's, that's a, a really good position for Detroit to be in. Um, you know, with them being in a rebuild and having some of these veteran assets that, they can afford to move off from and it's an advantageous position to be in. So it, it, it should be good for a, a team like Detroit or a team like Cleveland um, to sell off on guys that, I mean, I know Mike, you know, we were talking about this before the show, but Andre Drummond, obviously that's a, a hot name in the trade market right now in terms of, is he worth trading for? Does he really raise a team ceiling? Can he play in the playoffs? Things like that. You have a team like Charlotte. You have a team like uh, the Raptors interested in him. And does it create some sort of bidding war for him? I think that's something that might happen this year. I think a team like Toronto would greatly benefit from adding a guy like Andre Drummond uh, to their roster. But, you know, does a team like Charlotte talk themselves into, into doing it and saying, look, uh, you know, we have Cody Zeller. We can play P.J. Washington at the five. But what if we slid Washington down to the four with, and move Zeller to the bench and, and brought in Andre Drummond at the five spot? And then we have, you know, Terry Rozier, LaMelo, Devontae Graham, Gordon Hayward, Andre Drummond. And then, it, you know, maybe does it solidify us? And, and I think that's something the teams are going to be trying to talk themselves into. And it, it'll help all these teams that talk themselves into going forward and going for the playoffs and going for the play-in tournament. Uh, that kind of situation this year should favor a team like Detroit who does not need some of these players on this roster and who can take either flyers on young guys or bring in more assets, uh, draft capital that they can use to their advantage down the line. We should probably just make it a standard. Like this should just be the description for every podcast moving forward is that every team can use a guy like Wayne Ellington. And that's been the case for several seasons. Every team, every playoff team, could use a guy like Wayne Ellington. He's there to shoot threes and he's doing it at a pretty efficient clip. Maybe not quite, uh, you know, like a walking human torch like he was earlier, but he hits them at an efficient clip. There's plenty of teams that could use the shooting. And that has been the case for quite a while, especially now that, you know, basically the three point line is, has been, 
the place to be. That's that's where um, that's where teams are really focusing on it since probably the Rockets started to shoot more threes than you know than any other shot possible since you know the formula for for uh, making a team with LeBron James has been LeBron and four shooters and everybody get out of the way, wait for him to collapse the defense and just create havoc. Every team needs shooting. And looking at the standings here now with 10 teams, essentially quote unquote, making the playoffs and a bunch of teams just outside of the playoff picture that could easily sneak in. No one's really eliminated yet. I mean, I would maybe say Detroit might be the only team that is not in the playoff picture. Detroit and Minnesota are both just kind of out. And the Pistons are only, I mean, I say only, they're only like seven games out. Given the roster that they have, they're probably out of it. Minnesota is freaking horrible. Um, They're seven and 28. They are terrible. They've lost eight straight. Houston's probably out of it too. They're terrible too. They've lost 11 straight after getting the doors blown off of them by Memphis, just, just getting smashed by the Grizzlies, but a team, I mean, that's a good example, a team like Memphis that is young, that really doesn't have any need to win right now. They're not in win now mode. They're just kind of looking at all the great draft picks they've made from Desmond Bain to John Morant to Jaron Jackson to Dylan Brooks to, you know, all these great moves and they are 10th. They're a playoff team right now. If the season were to end, the new Orleans Pelicans are one game, rather they're two and a half games behind them. They are also not a team that's in win now mode. They're sitting there looking pretty with Zion Williamson and Lonzo Ball's resurgence. And, you know, they don't really have any need to make a trade. They could sit tight and see how the season goes and reevaluate things next off season, but they're right there. Even the Oklahoma city thunder who try so hard to tank, but they just can't do it. They just are too good. They just make too good of moves. They, whether it's Chris Paul or now, Shea Gildas Alexander turning into one of the most efficient point guards in the entire league. They just can't do it. I mean, even the Kings are just four games out and they are the perennial punching bag. So all these, I mean, and the Kings are 13th, the 13th team in the Western conference would normally not be looking to make a move, but guess what? They can make a move and they could still sneak in with the, with the expanded playoffs. The Hawks are 14 and 10. The wizards are 13, 19 after winning all these games in a row. I mean, there is a lot of momentum. A lot of teams could make some moves. Chicago is now 10th. The Pacers are going to get Karis LeVert back. You talked about the Hornets. They could be aggressive. There's just a lot of teams that could make different moves. And, you know, the Cavs and Pistons being sellers, it gives them a little bit of an advantage. Andre Drummond gives nobody an advantage is, is what I've learned. Just in, in general, everything about him, just from the contract to the way he plays, just doesn't give an advantage. But I think it'll be a very interesting deadline. I think I, I, I'm cautiously optimistic that it could be hectic. I think with Victor Oladipo turning down that extension from Houston, the Rockets could maybe say, all right, thanks, and try to move him unless he really thinks he's going to get some big-time offers this offseason. Um, I'm excited for the trading deadline beyond Drummond and Blake Griffin getting bought out, which is probably going to happen for both of them. I think there's still a lot of different moves that could be made and the Pistons have a lot of players that a lot of other teams could definitely use. Absolutely. It's that the the trade deadline this year will be incredibly interesting because 
outside of teams, you know, making moves, I think it will be telling on where franchises think they are. And, and does a franchise make that move that either A, ends up working out for them and it's a risk that works out, or B, they take the risk and it doesn't pay off and it ends up hurting them. So I think this trade deadline with the the added uh, potential of getting to the play-in and having an opportunity to play in the playoffs, it, it it's going to be very, very interesting. I think there will be a little bit more excitement about this trade deadline. I feel like every year we get excited. It always tends to not meet expectations. I think this is a year where it could exceed expectations and, and be really good. Yeah. There's just so many teams that are just kind of in a glut of Charlotte and Toronto and Boston and Miami and the, 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 the New York Knicks at fourth in the East. Yeah. How about the, the world is ending. Look at this. The Kings and the Pistons, or excuse me, the Kings and the Knicks play the Pistons. They both get W's, and we're talking about them being in the playoff fold. So <laughs> just play the Pistons if you want to That get is the a good point. That is a good point. And the Pistons are not an easy out. No, none of these teams in the NBA really feel like complete and utter punching bags. Even 7-28 and 28 Minnesota has the personnel to just run up the score. You know, if you are – if you go in there – and you're playing the Timberwolves and you're not hitting your shots and just kind of being lazy, thinking up oh, seven and 28. And this goes for a lot of the teams, but you have cat and right now, not the Angela Russell, but Anthony Edwards, that team could run up the score on you. If you don't, if, if you are not, uh, if you're not being careful and now they don't have Ryan Saunders anymore, they have Chris Finch who that's a whole different podcast discussion about how they basically took an assistant <laughs> in the middle of their season. Yeah, and right. How crazy is that? That's bizarre, especially with Dave Vanterpool right on the bench. Still did anyway. No, there's they're like no bad teams. Like the Pistons, I think their Pythagorean win total should be like 12 or 13. I think they should have like 13 wins. They have nine, so the tanking is working. But there's like no bad teams, which is really interesting to me. Um. But I, I, too, am excited for the deadline. Could be a lot of shifting pieces between Drummond and Blake Griffin and getting guys help. I mean, the, the Celtics need to make a move. We should just end up doing a whole trade deadline podcast. I think it's, I think it's bound to happen at some point. Yeah, I think it's inevitable, too. Well, that's all the topics that we have, Aaron. Do you have anything else for the good of the order here? for the the Pistons moving forward fresh off of a Knicks defeat I believe yeah fresh off of a little little classic beat down by the Knicks um oh, no I mean you know it's hopefully guys get back in the fold for Detroit I know everyone is, is antsy about seeing Killian Hayes return to the court and uh, the quotes from Dwayne Casey for about Killian Hayes and you know, how he's made changes to his diet and how he's hoping he can be back this month. And then Killian's posting pictures on Instagram of him back on the court. So everyone's getting antsy about that, you know, uh, for their sake, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. And uh, that'll give us another element to talk about as it seems like we're always finding different things to discuss here on the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Um, and hopefully in the coming weeks, we'll have some trade talk. That's always good to talk about. Um, and then eventually it'll just swing right into draft talk. Um, and then the, the lottery will be here before we know it. 
Yeah, you know Troy Weaver's making at least one trade at the deadline. Uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to you know get some prop bets going uh, <laughs> like that when when the trade deadline gets a little closer. There's no way the Pistons are silent uh, when no. the trade deadline rolls around. Troy Weaver has been silent for a while. He's got to be like his skin's just got to be crawling. He's got to it's been like make some sort of a move. Troy Weaver has made a trade, so like he's he's like just in his office right now, like. He's got like six different trade options pulled up. He's trying to figure out which one he can get more out of. Like he's dying to make a move right now. And it's just like, it's going to, it's eventually going to happen. Yeah. He's getting antsy. He's getting, and, and you know what? We are also getting antsy. We want something else to talk about. We like talking about trades. <laughs> we like talking about trades. Well, that is another edition of Pals of Pistons podcast. Again, uh, part of the Believe podcast network. We're very happy to be a part of uh, a part of this great team with a lot of really great podcasts. We're very excited to be joining this network and uh, we really hope that um, we really hope that you will stick around and be listening to us and then check out some of the other NBA podcasts. And you know, in the near future, maybe you'll be seeing somebody from some of these other podcasts, some of these other NBA podcasts, uh, you know, come and talk about a little bit of, a little bit of cross cutting uh, NBA talk with some other teams. So, um, and again, most importantly, thank you to all of the listeners for making this possible. We're really, we're really, really um, excited to be able to have this opportunity. So for Aaron Johnson, my name is Mike Angolano. Thank you very much for listening to the Palace Pistons podcast presented by Believe. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.